You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks, everyone, for joining us again for episode 182. I'm Paige Wilson, standing in for Jacob Corley. And I'm Mark LaCour. And before we get into anything else, I want to give a big shout out to the sponsors that made this wonderful event possible. So, of course, Liberty Oilfield Services, thank you very much. University of Colorado at Denver, their Global Energy Management Program, Denver Petroleum Club, Discovery Land Services, and... The, all of the audience and everybody here joined us. Thank you, everybody, for making this thing possible. This is our first Denver Oil & Gas Global Network happy hour. We're going to do this on a quarterly basis. Also, thank you for whoever poured me a glass of red wine. It's very much appreciated. He's got the big cup. <laughs> That's a big cup. And Paige, you want to guess something really cool? Okay. What's that? So you want to guess what this podcast, how it ranks in the world as far as business? Way higher than mine. Yes. <laughs> so here's what I think is really cool. Of all the podcasts in the world, in the U.S., business podcasts, we're number 63. In the U.K., we're number 10. In Canada, we're number 26. And here's my favorite. We are the number one business podcast in South Korea. <laughs> so thank you, South Korea, for all the listeners that are out there. And if you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is leave us a review. It takes all of three minutes. We have a great one here. Actually, from... Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, oil and gas in the U.S. I'm an account manager in the Appalachian Basin. I'm on the road a lot. I really enjoy listening to Oil and Gas This Week podcasts and all of the other OGGN podcasts while I drive. The information is always interesting. I use it for talking points with my customers when I'm out and dealing with my, the industry and our prospects. Always look forward to the next episode coming out. Mark and Jake have such a great passion for passing along information to help in our industry grow. If you ever make it up to the Northeast sometimes, I really enjoy meeting you guys. Hey, dude, we're starting another one of these happy hours in Pittsburgh, so we're coming. So keep up the amazing work. So if you want to be like a Pittsburgh O&G and get a shout-out, leave us a review, and if we read it on the air, you will get a shout-out. Now it's time for the news stories. All right, first one we've got. No slumping and pumping despite strictures in Colorado's new oil and gas law. Yeah, this is insane. This is something that we all need to be aware of. It's really easy in our industry because we're busy and you have things to take care of and job responsibilities and emails to answer and kids and all that stuff to not think about what's going on in your local politics. But I'm telling you, as an industry, if we don't start taking care of our local politics and making sure our voice is heard, bad things are going to happen. This is a, a, a bill that's being passed that is looking to give local municipalities control over fracking. And it sounds like it's not that dangerous. It's extremely dangerous to our industry. And the thing that I'm worried about the most is all the existing permits that have been issued are going to be honored, which means that if this law goes in effect, or when it goes in effect, I should say, the immediate impact won't be seen for a year or two because the existing permits will be allowed. But if we start allowing local municipalities to do things like controlled water, produce water, setback limits, they're going to push us out of the state. I've seen it already happen in California in my lifetime. I've seen it ha start happening in New Mexico now. And as an industry, we need to have our voices heard. And I'm not talking about opinions. I'm talking about facts. We need to, to talk to our politician and to our neighbors and to our kids about the benefits we bring to the world, the prosperity we bring, the jobs we create, the fact that modern lifestyle it cannot be made possible without hydrocarbons. And what the Colorado oil and gas industry does is bring that to the market. This is another one of those steps of people that don't understand our industry trying to out-regulate us and literally push us out. 
And this political lopsided legislature that's happened here in Colorado is making it easier and easier for that to actually happen. So just like the anti-oil and gas people have activists, we need to have activists. And we need to get out there and literally talk to our neighbors. It's one of the best things. I saw this happen last year in Colorado. A lot of the oil and gas operators up here allow their employees and train their employees to go out and talk to their neighbors. And y'all actually got some anti-oil and gas legislation pushed away. The problem is it comes back every year or every term. So it's, you know, this is, this is, a bunch of people that don't like our industry, and this is SB 181, to actually try to out to push us out of Colorado. And real quick, you know, before we get too much deeper in that, we're not from here. We're from Texas, and the politics in Texas are just slightly different than they are here. A little right? bit, a little bit, a little bit. And so, I just want to get a local. I want to get a, a local opinion. So, Chris, thanks for uh, joining us up here. What is your opinion on this bill? That's a longer answer, but I'm a Coloradan, not a Texan. So, I live in this state. I grew up in this state. And, and one curious thing about Colorado is most people in Colorado until recently didn't even know we produced oil and gas, right? Because most people don't live it, don't live near it, they don't know about it. Colorado is actually a massive producer of oil and gas. We're number five in oil, number five in natural gas among all 50 states. We produce three times more energy than we consume as a state. But we've got a lot of new migrants and a lot of new neighborhoods going into the oil field, so it's created, it's created some frictions. On, on 181, real quick, it's about local control, right? And as you referred to, we had 112, basically a ballot initiative that was really attempted to shut down our industry. The very curious thing is where 90% of Colorado's oil was produced. So these are the locals that are being impacted by where all the drilling is. That is the, the, the area in which the industry was the most popular by far. 75% people voted against something that would, would have restricted our industry in the area where the oil and gas drilling is. In Boulder County, where there hasn't been a well drilled for many years, that's where the greatest opposition to our industry was. So it's not, as, as the supporters of the bill would think, it's the people near us that don't like us and want to have control. In fact, it's the opposite. Where we operate is where we're the most popular. Now, could we be better? Of course. You know, can we have even larger local community engagement than we've had, sure. So I think how it plays out and what it means for Colorado industry is still truly up in the air. There's certainly communities passionate about continuing development and all that. There are communities on the other end. And the, the last thing I'll say is the difference is, it's often compared to, well, zoning and building a new business. We get things engaged with that. Because, boy, you could, you could put your new factory here, or you could put your new factory over there, and you can talk to the municipalities. But the oil and gas that we produce has been underground for more than 50 million years. So we can't move it. And the mineral owners that own it, who were the farmers and ranchers here, <laughs> they have to, uh, you know, it's their rights. They're the owners of it. And, of course, they would like it produced. And so when a town says, no, you can't, harvest your property, you know, it's a little bit of a property rights issue as well as a local impact thing. Complicated issue, jury's still out. Yeah. So Chris, you have to remember that this audience for this show is global. It's over 500,000 listeners for this show, 170 different countries. So Chris, who are you? So that the rest of the world knows why your opinion is so important. Uh, well, my, my opinion is not important, but I'm a science geek, tech nerd turned energy entrepreneur. So I'm the CEO of Liberty Oilfield Services, I went to college to work on fusion energy. I worked in solar energy in graduate school and geothermal energy after that. So I don't care where energy comes from, but cheap, low-cost, reliable energy is what enables human lives. 
And today, oil and gas still wins that crushingly, despite all the other things I've worked on. I love all energy, but the advantages in human health, in saving forests and environments and wilderness. I'm also a board member of an environmental group for a long time. So to me, it's not just the human, not just the economic, but the environmental impacts of a dense, enormous energy resource that's housed one to three miles underground. Fortunately, no one lives one to three miles underground, which is why with modern technology, we can harvest so much resources with just a small number of acres at the surface. Hey, Chris, we have to get you back on as a guest host. You're doing really good. In fact, Paige and I go drink. You probably finish the show. Well, I mean, I just, I actually just interviewed him on my show, Oil and Gas Industry Leaders. So if you want to Learn about Chris in depth. Check that out in the next couple weeks. All right, Chris, thanks for coming on the show as a guest. All right, Paige, what's up next? Lion's share of Technique FMC split expected to remain in Houston. So let me tell you my opinion on this. When Technique, and if the audience doesn't know, FMC is, is one of the best subsea manufacturers out there, in my opinion. Technique was one of the best subsea service companies, in my opinion. A couple of years ago, they merged. And when they merged, I looked at it, it's like it makes no sense. That expensive oil, that deep water, ultra deep water, high pressure, high temperature oil is, is dead, basically, because it's expensive. Why would a subsea service company buy a subsea manufacturer? And literally, it made no sense to me. And so a couple of years later, this happens, and basically what they're doing is splitting off the parts of the company that are extremely profitable as one company, and then they're going to spend the rest off, which then makes me wonder, and please no hate mail on this because I don't know, but it makes me wonder, did they think of this in the very beginning when Technique decided to buy FMC? Did they see this potential? That's quite possible. I've seen it in a lot of other instances. Yeah, and so the good thing is the large majority of, of the legacy Technique FMC, whatever the new companies are going to be called, is going to stay in Houston. So we could keep those jobs, we keep those people employed, but the rest of things will be spun off to Paris. Now, I think I do think it's really funny. So the name for the two companies right now, and this is not will not be their official names, but internally they're calling Remain Co. and Spin Co. So if you're Remain Co., you're staying in Houston, and if you're Spin Co., you're going to Paris. <laughs> but I, I just think this is awesome. Their business is changing, which they need it to change. They're, They've invested a lot in things like LNG, all the hardware you need to actually make LNG, move LNG, offload LNG, and it's still going to be a pretty big company. I think the Remain Co's would be about $7 billion in revenue, and then the other next $6 billion would be Spinco. They could keep their 15,000 employees, their global employees. The cool thing is by doing the spinoff, if you're a manufacturing company, back order is everything for you as far as your balance sheet. They're going to keep that $19 billion, not million, but billion-dollar backlog orders. So you're, you're going to see a few probably right-sizing type things, but you're not going to see massive layoffs. The original merger never showed the cost savings that they said it would, which, like once again, it was it's just weird when, I, when it happened, but now that I see it, it makes total sense. The cool thing is their shareholders are going to come out ahead of this. And so they're actually, this, uh, this last quarter, they returned to profitability. I think they reported a $97 million profit, which is good for them because they right. had a couple of years that were really flat. So hats off to that company, hats off to the spinoff. We have more cool stuff that's going to work with, I guess, Remain Co., <laughs> we, we can't yeah. talk about it until everything gets settled, dust gets settled. But the big thing is a lot of the people in Houston are keep their jobs. A lot of people here in the U.S. are keep their jobs, so it's a good thing. You know, we wish them the best of luck and can't wait to see what happens. Absolutely. All right, next article. Alaska is the biggest bet yet for Texas's anti-shale oil billionaire. So this is Jeffrey Hildebrand. And if you know anything about Jeffrey, he stood up Hillcorp Energy. I haven't seen him make a mistake in 10 years. And he does stuff that doesn't always make sense, but then later it does make sense. So what he's doing is he's going to Alaska and he's buying conventional wells. 
not shell, not heavy oil, just the conventional reservoir wells. And he's buying a lot of them from BP. And a lot of these wells are still in production, but they've, they've reached their peak. And it's like, what is he doing buying conventional wells? Now, of course, Jeffrey doesn't call me very often and talk to me and tell me what his strategic plans are for the next five years. But like I said, he doesn't usually make mistakes. And one of the things I think he's going after, if you know the shell wells, they tend to have a very steep decline curve, whereas conventional reservoirs don't. And I think the fact that he's tapping into these, basically he's picking up wells for pennies on the dollar. I think he has something up his sleeves to actually stimulate those conventional reservoirs in Alaska. And the cool thing about the oil that comes out of Alaska, it's heavier, which we have a bigger demand for in the U.S. So we keep an eye on this. I just got a feeling that, you know, in a year or two, there's going to be a new company come out of Alaska and it's just going to be blowing and going. Everybody's going, duh. And I think Jeffrey's <laughs> going to be leading that charge. Awesome. All right. Mexico midstream firms reach deal in gas pipeline dispute. Yeah, this is very interesting. So we're sitting here in Denver, so y'all may not know this, but Mexico has an abundant wealth of hydrocarbons. Mexico can't get it out the ground. Right. They're trying to bring their population standards up. They're trying to provide more education, and you cannot do that with cheap, reliable, abundant energy, specifically electricity. So because they can't get it out the ground, they're buying natural gas from Texas, from us. So we're building pipelines like crazy across the border for Mexico. And I just think that's incredible that we're actually doing that. Now, what's going on here is politically the government has figured out that a lot of the older contracts they had internally with Pemex, and Pemex is a state-owned oil and gas company. If you know Pemex, they're ripe with corruption. And you know people don't like to talk about that, but it's true and it's hurting their business. Yep. What's happening is the, the president's going in and rewriting contracts to make it more secure from a risk point of view for the American companies to build the pipelines across the border. And at the same time, bring the technology to the Mexican pipeline companies, which is Pemex, so they can benefit from that, so that we can bring natural gas across the border for their electrical generation plants, so they can have cheap, abundant, reliable energy for the people. So this is, this is a good thing. It is really funny. I find it ironically funny that we're selling natural gas to Mexico, but as a Texan, I love it. Speaking of Mexico, New Mexico's oil boom is under threat. What's that about? It's the same thing that's going on here, right? So New Mexico is the top of the Permian Basin. Yeah. We just were there. When, In fact, we've got people here that have actually that interviewed on here. my show. Yeah. And we were just there. And they're having the same political problems that we're, we're having here. Yeah. And so you're having legislation passed by people that don't understand our industry or, even worse, people that do understand our industry, but they can make money by shutting us down, which is just unethical as you can get. And, and they're having to fight it. Now, in New Mexico, it's, it's really interesting because there's a big divide. Here in Colorado, you have what I call gray areas. You have counties that have operations in it, and they're kind of on the borderline. So when you come to legislation, those are the, what I call the swing counties. If you can get them to vote one way, you'll go win. And if you can't, you're going to lose. It's a little bit different in New Mexico. They, they have a very organized anti-oil and gas program out there and they're working really hard to shut down the the ability to operate in, in new mexico now you and i know that new mexico independent <laughs> i can't remember what the acronym is ip independent petroleum association of new mexico correct right and they're look those guys are active in congress their their entire board their members are literally up in the capitol every day talking to politicians and it's working they just need to be able to bring it to scale unfortunately the anti oil and gas people have brought it to scale in New Mexico. The anti-oil and gas people are very good at using social media. As an industry, we need to get better at that. But but the battles happen in New Mexico, and hopefully for the citizens in New Mexico, they, they manage to pull us out and win. The problem is, because of the politics, that if they do win this year, it'll come back again and again and again. Colorado, you're in the same place. Unfortunately, California just gave up years ago. There's one small little dot 
of pro oil and gas people that we know very well in California, yep. but they're surrounded by people that don't like them and, and, and they're fighting a battle. So, you know, hopefully New Mexico pulls this thing out. The thing I'm worried about though, is the next, next voting cycle, yep. you know, cause this is going to come back again. So we'll keep an eye on this. All right. Way to hit the mic. <laughs> Tumbling on sends ripples through petrochemical market. So petrochemicals on fire. As we went through this downturn, you had so many people seeing the doom and gloom of the oil and gas industry. And I'm going to ask the question. We have a live audience right here. During the last five years, have you started paying less for your car tires or your lipstick or your nylon shirts or your toothbrush? No. All that's made from hydrocarbons. Their raw feedstock for the last five years has been cut by 60%. They're keeping the profits. They're making money hand over fist right now, petrochemicals. And what's happening in China right now is they have a large rural agrarian society. So basically they live out in rural areas. They have a farm. They have a large family, which is their workforce. And they grow enough food, hopefully, to feed themselves. And if there's a little bit left over, they sell it to make some money. Well, that's now 2019. By 2050, three-quarters of those people will be living in cities. And that's not just a Chinese thing. That's a global thing. Well, if you want to live in cities, you need Tupperware, you need scooters, and you need electric cars, and all that cannot happen without hydrocarbons. So what's happening is the decline in currency in China is actually hurting their petrochemical business. Fortunately for the U.S., it's actually helping our petrochemical business. So if you've seen all the petrochemical expansions that are going on in the Gulf Coast, and then the cool thing is, historically, all that type of work was done in the Gulf Coast, but now you're seeing things like ethylene crackers, which basically converts natural gas to plastics, being stood up in places where there's a cheap, abundant, reliable natural gas, like Pennsylvania. So it's not on the coast anymore. So now you're bringing those jobs the prosperity that brings to the center part of the U.S. You could, that's not a U.S. thing. That's a global thing. The Middle East has figured out that just being an upstream supplier of crude oil is not a long-term solution anymore. So now they're starting to build petrochemical plants. The Chinese are building petrochemical plants. You can see it start taking off in Central and South America in the next five or six years. The cool thing is our politicians haven't noticed this. And so they haven't stuck their finger in it. So they haven't messed it up. So if you're in the downstream part of the industry, not so much fuels in the U.S., but petrochemicals, you got a bright and shiny future. I mean, there's just it's, it's just a wonderful place. There's money everywhere. They're building brand new greenfield facilities, which means they're state-of-the-art. They're very low risk to the environment, very low risk to their employees. We talked to the group that's building the refinery up in North Dakota, Meridian, right? Right. And so what they did there, instead of bringing the crude and the natural gas to the Gulf Coast, to the refinery, they built the refinery in North Dakota. It's genius. And there's almost nobody that runs it. It's all automated. It's the first refinery ever built in the U.S. that didn't have to meet the EPA standards because it's such a low-emission refinery. That's the world we're moving to, and it's, and it's awesome. So that's what's going on with this. The China petrochemical business is lagging a little bit because their currency is lagging a little bit. Now, before we get off that, not, I don't want to talk politics, but you see what our current administration is doing in this trade war with China? It's way smarter than everybody thinks it is. We're, we're going to come out ahead because we lost so many times in the past, and, and our current administration is getting ready to fix that. When that gets fixed, and it will get fixed very soon, they will come to agreement, you'll see the yen go back up, and then all this will be fine for the Chinese people that work there. All right. So we have some laughable oil and gas lingo. Before we get into that, so where, where's our mark? See, we have a microphone right here? Yeah. So... We're going to ask, Paige and I are going to ask some questions. We're going to give you a, a term, and we want to see if anybody in here knows what that actually means. All right. Which ones are we starting with? Which one do you want to start with? I don't know. There's a lot. Let's start with the easy one. What's a pig? Does anybody know that? Wait, wait. We got to get our... Oh, hang our, on. He's got, our AV guy is... We're having technical issues. There you we go. You want to just... Okay. Cool. 
Who wants to answer it? What's a pig? Did y'all really just ask what a pig was? Yeah, what's like a pig? Like that goes through a pipeline? Very good, Sarah. By the way, this is Sarah. Wait, do I get a bonus point for knowing that? <laughs> no, no, you just get to, you get to keep your podcast. Oh, okay. Thank you. So Sarah is one of our fellow Oil & Gas Global Network podcasters. She has the Oil & Gas Legal Risk Podcast. Very good, Sarah. So Sarah, if that's what a pig is, what's a pig launcher? You're setting me up. <laughs> yes, I am. Well, we think we have an answer right here. Someone what's else it? has an answer. Who? Huh? Huh? It's right here. What's a pig launcher? Lisa? It's an above ground appurtenance that you put the pig in to push it down the line. Oh, boom. boom. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll go on to the next animal. You want to do that one? Horse head. What's a horse head? It's what attaches to the walking <laughs> beam of a pumping unit. Bingo. You got it. Absolutely. That's awesome. Oh, this is my favorite. Dog house. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. What's a dog house? Who has the answer? Very good. I don't know some of these. How old is this, Mark? About as old as I am. Oh. Crew quarters. Bingo. Yep. Let me get the next one. Okay. What's a granny rag? Let me, let me say that again. Granny rag. What is a granny rag? You know what it is, Paige? Only because I can see the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? A type of coating or method of coating a pipeline in the field rather than factory applied coating. Well, since we're on pipelines right now, holiday. What's a holiday? It's not when you get off from work. That's the only kind I know. <laughs> it's a hole in a steel pipeline. Uh, let's try something. How about a stub? Stub. S-T-U-B. Nobody? Length of a small diameter distribution pipeline from the main line to the customer's property or meter location. All right. Rig up. What does rig up mean? Really? Oh, come on. <laughs> Everybody in this room should know what that is. Well, before you can begin drilling or fracking, you got to assemble all the equipment on location and rig up so you're ready to roll. Boom. Okay, y'all should all get this one. What's a Christmas tree? Lisa? Like, there's one upstairs. <laughs> there's, like, literally, there's one upstairs. <laughs> it's what attaches to the top of the well that you can frack with or produce from. Helps you control the well. So, yes. So, wait, bonus question. What's the, the main difference between a Christmas tree and a blowout preventer? The blow-up preventer sits under the rig, and it moves when the rig moves. The Christmas tree is on there after the well has been drilled. Boom. Partly oh, right. Yeah. A blow-up preventer is a Christmas tree that you can drill through, basically. It's the same amount of valves to keep control of the well, but you can actually operate through it, oh, drill sure. through it. Not drill through it like trying to drill a hole in it. It's but made to drill. But you don't leave it there, right? But you don't leave it there, right. As soon okay. as you go into production, you the put Christmas the tree, tree on. Christmas tree you leave there, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. She, All right. She pretty, yeah. She, pretty, she pretty much had it. Come on. All right. So we're in Denver, Colorado. What does dope mean? <laughs> I don't know, but you sure can't smell it outside. <laughs> Seals the threads on pipe. Seals the threads Coating. and lubricates at the same time so they can screw joints together. Very good. I think that's enough. Can I do one more? Okay, one more. <laughs> that's all you get. What's a goat head? <laughs> <laughs> this is really old school. Do you really know what it is? That's cool. That's where all your fracking pipe goes into the well. That is absolutely right. We should have brought prizes to give away. All right, so audience, y'all were great. That was, that was awesome. All right, so speaking of awesome, one of the things we do in the show, we give out this really, really cool IBM shirt. We spend a little bit of money on it. It's cut for both men and women. It has a pump jack patent on the front, an OGGN logo on one sleeve, an IBM logo on the other sleeve. But what makes it super valuable is each one's uniquely serial numbered, which means they're instantly collectible. And on this, <laughs> and on this show... 
in the future, we'll be giving away really cool stuff. So if you have shirt number 177, you may hear me and Jake say, hey, if you have shirt 177, come join us in Miami, Florida and record a podcast while we're going to this cool all and gas event. If you want to win one, go to the show notes. It's really easy. Enter your information. We give away one a week. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people don't know, and I'll say I'll share a secret with you. Yeah, Sarah's actually got upset with me because she wanted one, and I refused to give her one. She has to win one like everybody else. But you can enter every week. So just enter as much until you win one. So they're really, really cool. And then, Paige, the, week, the weekly rig count, what's it doing this week? Oh, uh, We're at 951 with a 1% change down from last week. Okay, that's a good number. And then Street Team, if you listen to us for any length of time, we're looking for Street Team members. These are basically our global volunteers. We have a very large list, but we're still looking for more. All we ask is an hour worth of your time a week. Mainly, you're helping us with our social media, liking and reposting stuff. But if you can't do it, we don't care. We know life gets in the way. So if you want to join the Street Team, there's a link. We're going to start doing some live streaming for our Facebook Street Team group, doing some education, meet the host, that sort of stuff. So go join. And then if you're interested in oil and gas events like the one we're doing today, we have a monthly email because years ago when I started my own business, I was upset that I could not go to one place online and find all the oil and gas events. So I made my interns do it. So we take all the oil and gas events, we put them in one newsletter, we give it to you free once a month. You can go sign up, same way, links in the show notes. And while you're online, go to the website, it's oilandgasthisweek.com. Give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. We just use it to help tell you about the cool stuff we're doing. And since you're online anyway, go to our LinkedIn group. Just search for OGG. Which I moderate. Yeah, which page moderates, right? Make sure you're a real person. Yeah, and it's actually amazing. Big shout out to our marketing team head up by Tim and Alex over there. We're now over 12,000 people on that LinkedIn group. Yeah. All right, so this has been fun. I want to get some more to drink, so we need to get out of here. Yeah, I'm about out. (laughs) Yeah, you ready to get out of here? I am. All right, folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are the events on deck. Hey guys, this is Alex, and here are the events on deck for September 2019. We are bringing Oil & Gas Tech Podcast to the Internet of Things Conference in Houston, Texas on September 16th through 17th. Joining us will be CEO Marty Sprintson of Vantique. You can register online at iotandoilandgas.com. The Midstream Networking Golf Tournament will be held on September 6, 2019 in Cypress, Texas, and the dress, of course, is golf attire. The NOV Sporting Clays Tournament will be on September 20th, 2019 in Katy, Texas. Dress is casual. The Blockchain and Oil and Gas Conference is in Houston, Texas on September 18th through 19th. And the dress is business casual. That's all for September. Hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil and Gas This Week podcast a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.